Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, our thank you gift, and how to donate when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael in part two of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, called Honor in Worship. David writes, Psalm 29.1, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, 29.1, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, Psalm 29.2, The glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. If you have other translations, it says, In the splendor or beauty of holiness. Psalm 29.3, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. See, God is holy. And when we come into a worship service, we are to treat him as holy. Now, what does that look like? How do we ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name? How do we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness? I would submit to you that whatever this means, it's going to reverberate back into your life. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. Here's what I mean. When we do things God's way, there's a beauty before the Lord. He's honored. He's pleased. He's seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. But I I would submit to you that it bounces back to us. The beauty comes back to us when we live life God's way in God's order. Have you noticed? We are in a world of utter chaos. People are so confused about their purpose, who they are, what their life's about, even their very nature or being. People are uh, as confused as I've ever seen. And the church needs to bring clarity with compassion into this broken world. Because we were all there, right? We are all once there. All in the futility of our minds, we may have been confused about life. The man being addressed because the man is the head is addressed first, as we see in uh, the earlier section. And he says, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Bible students, who's the head of the man? Look at verse 3. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man or the head of every husband. So if this man has something on his head while praying or prophesying in early worship service, he disgraces his head. Who does he disgrace or dishonor? Christ. He's not worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. What is going on, Pastor Michael? Let me show you a picture. There's a statue that um, has... You can see this online. It's the statue from Corinth of the veiled Augustus Caesar. Now, what he is wearing is what we know as a toga. And this uh, toga is pulled over his head in preparation to offer, and I'm quoting, a libation. This may be an important clue to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4. The statue, says this writer, was a propaganda piece intended to present the emperor as a pious Roman. Wearing the toga over the head at pagan sacrifices was a familiar practice. As Oster makes the case, he says, Roman pietistic and devotional ethos pervaded at Corinth. Remember, Corinth was really a a Roman colony. 
Oster claims the practice of men covering their heads in a context of prayer and prophecy was a common pattern of Roman piety and widespread during the late Republic and early Empire. Since Corinth was a Roman colony, there should be little uh, doubt, little don't doubt this aspect of Roman religious practice and that it deserves greater attention by commentators than it's received. Here's the bottom line. It may be that men who came out of paganism into Christianity and were used to this kind of setting and garb may have worn the toga and pulled it over their head in preparation to pray and prophesy in an early Christian worship service. But the implication of the headdress was connected to what? To paganism and the occult. And so I believe that there's a good case to be made that what Paul is addressing is something cultural that the principle spills over to today, but I don't think it has much to do with a baseball cap. I don't think it has much to do with a hat in church. I think it's the implications of what was happening. If you had converted over from pagan religion, and uh, we've been dealing with the last several chapters with... um, idolatry and spiritual adultery in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And if you were a Christian and you, you did this in the Christian service, it would send the wrong message and it could disgrace your head because it was connected to paganism. Everybody with me? And so I think that this is what's probably going on here. It brought shame and dishonor to one's head. Now, we have to understand that wearing a hat or a head covering is not the issue. In fact, in in Exodus 28, verses 36 through 40, Moses is given instruction for the priestly garments, which includes what? A turban on the head. In fact, the high priest wears a turban on his head as he ministers to the Lord on behalf of the people. And on that turban, it says holiness to the Lord. If wearing a head covering was the essential issue, pray tell, why is Moses being instructed to make priestly garments with a head covering or a turban? I don't think the head covering in and of itself is the issue at all. I think there's something much deeper going on, and I think it has to do with the pagan implications of the toga pulled over the head. What example might we use in a modern context? Well, maybe if someone, for example, was in a home where there was a Ouija board, or imagine that you were in a Christian worship service and you were wearing a t-shirt with a great big pagan symbol on it, Uh, 666 is my favorite number, (laughs) or maybe you had something like a pentagram on a t-shirt and you're in an early, or you're in a modern worship service, that would be sending the wrong message. It could dishonor your head. Christ for what it means to the pagans and in the pagan world. And I think that this is what's going on. The action of pulling the toga toga over the head had clear associations to pagan devotion to pagan deities. And by virtue of that, it dishonored one's head, Christ. In the next section, uh, 17 through 34 of chapter 11, the Corinthians were abusing wine at the early potlucks or love feasts. They were getting drunk. Drunkenness was part of early cultic pagan celebrations, like to Dionysius and other pagan gods. People would abuse alcohol, they would get intoxicated or drunk, and they would say that would put them better in touch with the gods. 
And in the next section, the Corinthians are getting drunk at Christian agape feasts or potlucks. And Paul says, don't do that. That is not what you should be doing. You see, they were carrying some of their religious practices, what they had come out of, into their Christian uh, experience. Now, while we understand the gravity of this, we also have to understand that a lot of people just didn't maybe make the connection. Uh, When we're brand new to the Christian faith, we don't understand a lot of levels of what we do or what we carry into the Christian life. And so this is where we need to grow. So some argue that this is a hypothetical and not an actual practice of the Corinthian men as Paul addresses the women next. Uh, One writer says, instead he argues from how shameful it would be for a man to pray or prophesy in Christian worship in this way, arrayed in a pagan devotional uh, 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 toga kind of thing, but it may have been hypothetical, it may not have been. Notice, the man is in verse 4, and then the woman. But every woman who has her head uncovered, the issue with the man was the covering, now it's uncovered, while praying or prophesying, she's also involved in the early worship service. When she has her head uncovered, disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, six, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. Now, what in the world is going on with this one? (laughs) Well, first we should affirm that Paul is acknowledging that women have an active role in the early services of the church. One writer says this was in contrast to Jewish synagogue worship where women were not considered full members, were required to sit behind a veil. In the Christian church, and I think because of Jesus, women were to be full congregational participants. This affirms the emphasis put on equality and interdependence of the sexes, though not without the teaching on roles. Order does not mean inequality, as we see in verse 3. Christ has God the Father as his head. But there is a willing submission to his role within the triune nature of God. There's a beauty in doing what is right, what is appropriate, what is good. Here's the big question in verses 5 and 6. What was a woman in this culture to wear on her head and why? Secondly, how does this information in verse 6 about a woman's hair being cut off or head shaved relate to this? I have no idea, so let's move on. No, I'm just kidding. I think I have an idea. Let me just say here that the issue is not hairstyle. There's a view, it's called the bun view. You already forgot the bun view, where the woman in the early church service had to have her hair up in a bun because maybe by throwing her hair around, it sent the wrong message. I do not think that that's the primary issue here. The issue is head coverings how they were viewed in this culture. For a Hebrew woman to go out uncovered was a disgrace, according to 3 Maccabees chapter 4, because a covered head, please hear this, was a sign of modesty. To go out with loose hair in public was a greater disgrace and considered grounds for divorce. The Corinthian culture also looked askance, says one writer, at woman Uh, women who were going out in public without a head covering. The literature of the time suggests that it was a token, I'm sorry, it was taken for granted 
that respectable women would wear some kind of head covering in public. Now, we may not get this, but that is irrelevant. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now, with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, that's Step Closer as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer, and you can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. There's a view, it's called the bun view. You already read the bun view, where the woman in the early church service had to have her hair up in a bun because maybe by throwing her hair around, it sent the wrong message. I do not think that that's the primary issue here. The issue is head coverings, how they were viewed in this culture. For a Hebrew woman to go out uncovered was a disgrace, according to 3 Maccabees chapter 4. Because a covered head, please hear this, was a sign of modesty. To go out with loose hair in public was a greater disgrace and considered grounds for divorce. The Corinthian culture also looked askance, says one writer, at women women who were going out in public without a head covering. The literature of the time suggests that it was a token, I'm sorry, it was taken for granted that respectable women would wear some kind of head covering in public. Now, we may not get this, but that is irrelevant. This is what was happening in the culture of the day. Let's go to the next photo. And so what you had is you had women who would typically dress in this way, and we can see this in sculptures of the time, with some sort of head covering. And it would appear that women who went out without the head covering on were saying, I'm available. They were saying to a guy and even potentially maybe connected to prostitution and temple prostitution that I want, I'm signaling, signaling the men that I'm available. Now imagine to take it into an early church service. If the primary issue of the head covering is modesty of that time, Take it into the culture today and begin to ask questions about the modern church and modesty. And I think you see the spirit behind the cultural teaching. What's the principle? That in Christian worship, if a woman is not modest, she dishonors her head. Who's her head? Her husband. 
So imagine that uh, you're in a church service. There's someone who is scantily dressed, immodest, let's say. And we've probably maybe experienced this before. And all of a sudden, that person is a distraction to the worship that should be directed at God, but also potentially dishonoring their spouse or their head. Everybody with me? The issue is not so much the head covering. We could just put that aside. It's the principle behind it, and the principle is modesty. Now, how do you think we are doing as a culture in the area of modesty? Walk through the grocery store line, and you have to go like this. To try not to look at all the skin that is put on open display for all to see. It is everywhere. And it often does come into the church because let's face it, we open the doors and the, all people are welcome to come here and we have some non-Christians that come here. We have people who are, you know, three months, six months of one year in the Lord and we have people who've been walking with the Lord for 50 or 60 years. We have all these different levels. So that's why we need grace. Now, I would have a different discussion with someone about modesty who's been walking with the Lord for 20 years as opposed to someone who's been walking with the Lord for two months. Amen? This is where we need to understand God's grace. This is where we need to have wisdom in how we deal with people, how we approach one another. We're all growing. But we also need to understand that we don't want to be a distraction. Uh, Tacitus, according to uh, Tacitus, he says, the husband of the adulterous wife cuts her hair, strips her, and banishes her from the house. This is in Germania 19. The shame attached to the shorn head of a woman runs deeper than uh, she might appear mannish, says this writer. The shaved head is imposed upon the adulteress to expose her publicly according to winter. Paul is using hyperbole to make a point that if a woman appears uncovered, It's as shameful as being shorn or shaven as though she had committed adultery. Since that is the case, she needs to be covered. The word for covered does not refer to a hairstyle, says garland. In classical Greek, it means to cover up and could also mean the veil, close quote. Uncovering the head in public had sexual implications. For Philo, the covering conveys that a woman is innocent, virtuous, and untouchable. It was a nonverbal way of saying, I'm available if you didn't wear the head covering. Some women were eschewing the common cultural practice of wearing covering in worship. In the freedom of worship, perhaps because it was in a home, they allowed their hair to hang down on their shoulders. This implied that they were available, and it was the wrong message being sent. This may be a little bit heavy, but this is what One writer says, this may be difficult for a modern Western culture to grasp, but this was seen as a sexual statement and incitement. Public worship was neither the occasion for women to be objects of attraction or to be sized up by men, nor an occasion for women to offer cryptic suggestions to men. Women are not to be ogled at or scrutinized or eyed as sex objects during worship, says one writer. Paul's primary interest in this passage is to prevent this from happening. And he thus argues that a woman should be covered. You can see why a cultural understanding of the day leads us to the larger principle of today. 
Amen? And it's this, that a man should not have, as he worships the Lord, any associations with paganism, and a woman, as she worships the Lord, should be modest on behalf of her husband, saying, I am taken, I belong only to him. Some years ago, I heard the wife of Albert Polhos, the well-known Angels, Angels baseball player, uh, interviewed on Focus on the Family, and she was talking about the issue of modesty. And she said she was at the ballpark, she was sitting in the stands, and some young teenage girls came walking by scantily dressed. She said she looked around and watched man after man staring at them and ogling at them, etc., etc. She then introduced herself to these young girls, and she said to them, have you seen the way the men around you have been looking at you? She said, you're beautiful. God made you beautiful, but you don't have to show your body or so much as you live your life. You have value without that. And the girl said, well, who do you think you are, Missy? And she said, I happen to be the wife of Albert Pulhos, who's playing first base down there on the field. The girls were a little shocked and taken aback. And what she said was, look, I'm trying to convince young women that you don't have to go with the masses to have value in your life. There's a beauty in what is appropriate and what is right and good and true. And we've lost that, let's, let's face it, in our society. And parents, I want to say to you that you have some responsibility here. You have to have those conversation with, conversations with your kids and grandkids. You have to have those conversations with your spouse, perhaps, to understand the issues that are before us. For a man ought not to have his head covered, seven. You'll notice there's a great uh, a bit of balance addressing men and women in the passage. A man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. It doesn't say that she's not made in the image of God, but it says that she's the glory of man. That is, she is someone who can be his glory. He celebrates her. She's a gift from God to him. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man, all the way back to Genesis 2. We studied it last week. She was taken from his side, from next to his heart. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake or for the woman, but woman for the man's sake. Now, Paul is not making what I would say is an ontological argument by essence or nature or value. That's not what he's saying. But he's going back to Genesis chapter 2, and he's using this as an illustration back to the idea of headship. He returns to Genesis 1.27, to the wonder of male and female being made in the image of God and Eve coming out of Adam's side and being his glory. And when she's brought to him, he says, whoa, man, she's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You might add glory, glory, glory. So there's not a negative here. Paul is going back to the order of headship in verses 2 and 3. You're listening to Honor and Worship, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. Remember, our goal is to build you up so you can reach out to your community with the love of Christ and the knowledge of the gospel. You heard about our 633 event last month with Greg Kokel, teaching those who attended how to build a game plan for discussing their Christian convictions. If you're a monthly partner with Walk in Truth, then we'll be sending you Greg Kokel's book, Tactics. If you've been considering partnering with us, please visit Walk in Truth and click the Donate button.
Anyone who gives $20 or more or becomes a monthly partner of $10 or more will receive the tactics book as a thank you. Learn more when you click the donate button on walkintruth.com. Thanks for your donation. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, hey, I want to take a moment to thank our monthly partners. Man, you're helping us extend this ministry to people just like you, and we deeply appreciate it. Also want to say thank you to the faithful church members at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, who are really make up the majority of our giving partners. And we would love to see more of our listening audience really get on board and put feet to your belief in this program. It really means a lot. And there's decisions that we need to make about what we're going to do next and what stations we're going to be on and stay on and extend out to. And so we do need to hear from you. And thank you so much for partners like Anne Marie from North Carolina, who became a partner right after Christmas. She listens to the podcast of Walk in Truth. Hi, Anne Marie. God bless you. Thank you so much for partnering with us and praying for us. Hey, I want to let you know that when you partner this month with Walk in Truth, we're going to send you a copy of Greg Kokel's new updated and expanded book called Tactics. This is how to navigate a conversation to build a bridge from a conversation to get to spiritual truths and to get to the gospel. Everyone who gives a donation of at least $20, you'll get a copy of the book Tactics or becomes a monthly partner at at least $10 a month. Hey, we appreciate it ahead of time. You praying for us and partnering with us. A lot of people giving a little bit goes a long way. Thank you so much. We appreciate you guys. God bless you. Tune in tomorrow for Honor and Worship Part 3. Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm Mike Massaro. Hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. As always, our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.